On long walks through the streets of town, he thought about it and concluded she was evidently stopped with the same kind of blockage that had paralyzed him on his first day of teaching. She was blocked because she was trying to repeat in her writing things she had already heard, just as on the first day he had tried to repeat things he had already decided to say. She couldn't think of anything to write about Bozeman because she couldn't recall anything she had heard worth repeating. Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, Robert Persig, 1974. Hi, welcome to StoryCraft, brought to you by the Pioneer Library System. I'm Zach. And I'm Amanda. Thank you for joining us today. We hope we can encourage you to create your stories. So, Amanda, I just gave you a quote from Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is one of my favorite books about writing and about teaching. My question for you is, have you ever read this book? I have not. Okay. Are you familiar with it at all? No, I've never heard of it. Okay. Well, for you and for our audience, I'm going to give you a really brief synopsis. And full disclosure, I've never finished it because I get about halfway through and it's very, very (laughs) thick. So if you think you can't love something without finishing it, you are wrong. Uh, But the basic premise is it's a guy taking his son, uh, probably 10 years old, Uh on a cross-country trip from Minnesota to Montana, back to where he used to teach college English. Uh, And of course, it's on a motorcycle. And it's all about philosophy and the idea of how to be a good writer, a good teacher, a good person in general. And... I think it's sort of required reading for anybody who is a little bit pretentious and buys their first motorcycle, which is probably (laughs) why I like it so much. Uh, But this particular passage that I picked is he's talking about trying to teach his first writing class and trying to get his students to understand what writing is and what storytelling is. And this precedes a part where he talks about his exercise to get them to open up about writing is to look at one thing one brick in a wall and to write about that brick. And once he does, he finds that that really unlocks their potential and their story craft. So my question for you, mm-hmm. following up on my earlier question for you, mm-hmm. is do you have any thoughts on that? I think that sounds really interesting. I don't know that I understand what you mean by focusing on a brick. Yeah. So in this particular story, uh, I think he originally assigns them to go write about like the opera house in Bozeman, Montana. Okay. 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 But they come back and they just have this really flat, flaccid writing that's oh, yeah. not interesting. And so he's like, well, don't write about the building. Right. Focus on this one. Okay. One thing. And it just unlocks so much. Like yeah. they find it much easier to write about. Yeah. And this is going to come back up later because this is transitioning into our topic. Today, we're going to talk about Aristotle poetics, and of course, Homer's Odyssey. And I know what you're thinking. There's probably not a lot of uh, daylight between those concepts and Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, but I promise you I'm going to try really hard to tie this all up (laughs) at the end. Are you familiar with Aristotle in general? I I am actually, yeah. Uh, Okay, so what's your knowledge of Aristotle, just to get us off the ground? Oh, yeah, you (laughs) would put me on the spot. Yeah, I I regret doing that now. (laughs) Um, oh, you know what? My knowledge of Aristotle. Let me get us off the ground. Yeah. So Aristotle, for those of our listeners who are not aware or who might want a little more background on this, uh, Greek philosopher, one of the greatest thinkers in the world. Uh, it kind of amazes me as I was doing some research on this to think that, wow, this is a guy who lived, you know, over 2000 years ago and we're still talking about him like, oh yeah, Aristotle, he's just a guy. We talk about him the same way we talk about George Bush or Barack Obama, just like somebody who is in the culture, in the zeitgeist. 
which is fascinating to think about. To stay relevant, yeah, yeah for centuries. <laughs> that long. Uh, so, big claim to fame, synthesized a lot of the previous philosophies that existed before him. And when I say previous philosophies, we're talking everything. His thoughts are foundational to Western thought. Uh, physics, metaphysics, philosophy, astronomy, geology, biology, psychology, ethics, politics, economics, and of course, we're going to talk about today, rhetoric and poetics. And when we talk about poetics, we're really not talking about just poetry. We're talking about all kinds of writing and storycraft. Uh, so one of the things that's really interesting about Aristotle is the stuff that survived him was not the stuff he published. Uh, it was a stuff that wasn't really intended for publication. We only have about a third of his output still with us today. And so the subject that I want to talk about today is specifically titled, quote unquote, Poetics. Now, this is a document that was written about 335 BCE. I feel like if we're going to say about, we shouldn't be doing it 335. <laughs> I think, yeah, 330 <laughs> is probably close enough. I'd be comfortable with 300, but whatever. Um, so we're going to get into poetics and what it means and what he's talking about and how that relates to the actual art of storycraft. Mm -hmm. But I want to go back even further than 300 BCE to Homer's Odyssey. So, you're a librarian. I'm sure that you're familiar with Homer's Odyssey. I am. Okay. What Do you remember what your first experience with this... It's not really a book, is it? It's a poem? An epic poem? Yeah, it's a poem. I don't know. I don't remember my first mm -hmm. um, experience with Odyssey. I remember teaching Odyssey, you know, with, mm -hmm. my, with my kids. Okay. And, and loving it. I don't remember... Being a student, yeah, listening to it, yeah, for the first time. See, and that's interesting because I shame. <laughs> no, no, I have a very similar take. I, you know, you and I have both been teachers. I remember teaching it to yeah. students. I vaguely remember reading it in high school, but I don't remember yeah. much about it besides Isn't that. Shame, yeah, yeah. Someone poured their heart into teaching me that, and I, it just kind of. <laughs> it really doesn't make you feel great take. about like our own efforts, does it? Like, oh man. Yeah just forgettable. No, no, surely I, I made a difference. <laughs> yeah, surely it was me. It was, I was the one. I was different, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so the thing is, uh, when we think of the Odyssey, a lot of people remember the big action sequences, right? Like poking out the eye of the Cyclops, yeah. uh, no man has killed me, uh, the boat going between Scylla and Charybdis, being tied up and like listening to the sirens, you know, all yeah. that really kind of fun stuff. But the thing about the Odyssey is that that's not the story that's like part of the story right like mm -hmm. the structure is so much more than just those things uh, so for a quick breakdown on that if you're not aware or if it's been a while since you've read it uh homer's odyssey follows the greek hero odysseus who was the king of ithaca on his way back from the trojan war now trojan war you may or may not remember possibly not a real event but they're starting to think i think in the last 100 200 years or so they've come back to thinking that it probably did happen in some form. But Odysseus is famous for coming up with a plan to put the big horse uh, outside of the gates, all <laughs> climb in, stink it up for a couple of days, and then get dragged inside, come out, kill all the Trojans. You might remember this as Sean Bean and Troy. I realize I'm waiting for an audience, but we're <laughs> on a podcast, so this is really a mistake on my part. <laughs> Uh, yes. You're so, referencing the movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the incredible yeah. movie, Troy, which is the reason I failed my first mythology course, because I did not read the Iliad. I watched the movie. Ah, uh, yeah. Huge mistake. Yeah, big mistake. Yes. Uh, so, 
coming back, the Odyssey is Odysseus on his journey home from that war. Uh, after the war itself, which lasted about a decade, 10 years, uh, his journey home is another 10 years. So this guy's been gone 20 years, during which time there's a lot of perils, a lot of bad things happen to him on his way home. Mm-hmm. The aforementioned... It's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, right? The aforementioned Scylla, Charybdis, all that. Uh, and waiting for him at home in Ithaca is his wife, Penelope, mm-hmm. and his son, Telemachus. Now, Telemachus, 20 years old, if you've done the math along with us, that puts him born slash conceived right around the time Odysseus left, right? Yeah. So it's been 20 years. All of Odysseus's lands and holdings are being fought over. Uh, there's this idea like, well, now this is forfeit. He's probably not coming back. So all these suitors and landowners are staying at his house, trying to get with Desperately, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> trying to get with his wife, trying to take over all of his stuff. Yeah. And there's some thoughts about killing his kid, killing his son Telemachus. So who is inexplicably loyal to his father that he's never met. Wildly inexplicably, <laughs> right? It's so crazy. And yeah. this this has got to be like Same is true for Penelope. She's yes. super dedicated to this guy who's been missing. Definitely. And she doesn't have any idea if he's alive or dead or if he's just abandoned them. It's it's pretty it's pretty amazing. She's a she's a pretty righteous lady. Yeah, cuz as far as anyone knows, uh he left Troy and just never came home. Right. And that, that wasn't necessarily the case for all of the soldiers, as, right. as you see throughout the story, because the kind of inciting incident for the Telemachus portion of the Odyssey is he decides to go and visit some of his dad's old war buddies mm-hmm. and sort of figure out what happened. Why he hasn't done that 20 years earlier or 10 years earlier, <laughs> no one's really sure. Uh, but that's sort of the inciting incident for Telemachus and Penelope. For Odysseus, uh, the story starts off with him on the island of Calypso, where he's been stranded for the last seven years. And he finally leaves, uh, makes his way to the island of the Phaeacians, capsizes there, is taken in, has dinner, showered with gifts, and then decides to tell them, hey, here's where I've been for the last decade. That's the stuff that everybody forgets. Everything everybody remembers is the second act. So earlier we had talked about Aristotle being relevant still 2,300 years later, right? Well, the Odyssey was composed roughly four to 500 years before Aristotle was writing his stuff. And the actual Trojan War happened roughly five to 600 years before the Odyssey was written. So we're talking about an event that was 1,000 years removed from Aristotle, who is 2,300 years removed from us. So for Aristotle to write about the Odyssey, it's like people today writing about Romeo and Juliet. We're talking a similar time span here, which is pretty interesting when you think of enduring works, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we've talked about the first part of the Odyssey. We've talked about the second part of the Odyssey. The third part of the Odyssey is also the part that everybody remembers after the second part. And if you remember off the top of your head, so the third part of the Odyssey, he comes home, teams up with Telemachus, and they slaughter all the suitors yes kill yes, everybody yes shoots the arrow through the axe heads rah rah big right. cis boom bots presented as very cool very very heroic very greek you know yes um so that is what we have a really basic three-act structure the setup the context and then the payoff and this is something that's really familiar to us here in 2021 and it was really familiar to aristotle as well and this brings us to poetics so poetics is Aristotle's attempt to sort of codify a lot of this thought 
that that he had seen around uh, quote unquote poetry or storytelling. So when Aristotle talks about poetry, he's really talking about what we would consider as the general craft of storytelling, of narrative, of uh, of fiction. Mm-hmm. And he says that the general origin of of this craft of fiction is due to two things. Uh, the first is imitation which is that imitation is natural to mankind, right? It's how we learn. Yes. It's how we grow. It's something that from a young age we are encouraged to do. Uh, you know, Amanda, you're a parent. I'm not. But I assume this is something that you see in your own kids, oh, right? Yeah, absolutely. And encourage. Mm-hmm. That's how you teach. Yeah. And so then the second origin is that imitation is delightful, quote unquote, to witness. It is something that we like to see. So whether that is somebody ah, literally doing an impression of someone, yeah, it might be a comedian doing that impression. It might be uh, some, watching a documentary. It might be seeing a painting of a vista. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. It but it's delightful. It's super great. And there's something about it of being able to witness that imitation. Uh, and even if it's not a real event, a real painting, a Mm -hmm. fictional one, we still like to see the imitation of life, the attempt at an imitation of Mm -hmm. life. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, This, it really brings to mind when I, when I read this, the first thing I thought of was James Audubon and his sort of drawings and paintings of wildlife. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Birds. Very uh, clinical almost, but still beautiful depictions of nature. Yeah, look, they're exceptionally realistic and gorgeous. Oh, beautiful. But even even poor imitations, you know, are delightful sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and we think of, you know, Picasso and uh, the Cubist movement and the idea of, like, trying to see something from many perspectives and trying to imitate that in art. Um, and this is, and like you are saying, even... <laughs> That's not that that's a poor imitation. I, I'm saying. No, I I would I would agree that it, I mean I would say that it, it is because mm-hmm. I don't think that that's the goal there for you know like a cubist artist necessarily. Right. But yeah. It's it's not one to one. It's not the right. that perfect ratio. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but who doesn't like to see you know like a little kid trying to you know ice skate after watching the Olympics or oh, yeah. dance you know when mm-hmm. they've watched someone like Misty Copeland or something and get out there and start trying to do that. That's delightful mm-hmm. to see. Yeah. And then the way they learn is, you know, you're being taught like, well, here, let me show you. This is how you do it. This yeah. is how you do that triple axle or, or yeah. whatever that is. <laughs> and you try and you fail and you try and you fail. And eventually you're able to imitate that and improve upon it. Like in Zoolander. Uh, one of the things that Aristotle also says is that uh, fiction is an imitation of an action that is complete in itself as a whole of some magnitude. A whole is that which has beginning, middle, and end. A well-constructed plot, therefore, cannot either begin or end at any point one likes. So if this is a little confusing to you, you might remember in Alice in Wonderland, uh, I think it's the Mad Hatter says, begin at the beginning, and when you get to the end, stop. That seems like really... uh, God, what's the word I'm looking for? Flippant. Thank you. Dismissive. Flippant. Dismissive <laughs> advice. It's like, okay, well, I'll just start at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Sure. That was helpful. Yes. But this brings us all the way back around to Robert Persig and Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. And this is where I'm going to try and stick the landing, and our listeners will let us know if we succeed. 
Aristotle also says that beauty is directly tied to size and structure, so it cannot be observed in a very, very large object or a very, very small object. Uh, the same is true with stories. So think about it this way. If you're walking around on the street, it's hard to observe the beauty all around you sometimes. Like, you can be, like, grungy. It can be grimy. The weather cannot be good, right? You might not be able to really appreciate how gorgeous what you're looking at is. But you zoom all the way out, you go up into the atmosphere, you look at the city from above, you can see the geometry, the grid lines, the city planning, the art, uh, the beauty of trying to make something where many people can live and work in harmony. Now, the reverse is true also. Let's say you zoom all the way down and you look at a single park in, in the city. It's a lot easier to see how beautiful something like that can be. Or in the case of Robert Persig and Zinn and the Motorcycle Maintenance, all the way into the brick in that one building in Bozeman, Montana. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really trying to think of how to jump into the next I, part here. I'm a, I was a little confused there because it says it, you were saying that it cannot be observed in the very, very large or the very, very small. And I was about to argue with you on that because, you know, I think like insects or even microscopic objects mm -hmm. can be really, really beautiful. But you're, you're saying that that is true. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. And I think that's the part that is hard for me to wrap my head around. Cause I had the same reaction. Like, well now listen, if you look at like, an insect, you yeah. look the way the legs move, the way the, the carapace holds together, the way it forages and its behaviors. Yeah. But that's really only true if you get down on its level and you can see it and you can observe it much more closely. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, of course, this is 2,300 years ago, so some of our thoughts have evolved on this, and we've, we've thought more about it. But as a very basic function of storytelling, that's true for the story you want to tell. You don't want something too big. You don't want something too small. You want it right there in the Goldilocks zone, that just right, of being able to see the whole of it, but also to see the parts of it that make it beautiful. So you're not out too far. You're not in too close. Uh, and Aristotle when he talks about this, uses the example of Odysseus. Instead of talking about Odysseus's whole life, we're not talking about every event that happened to him. We're not talking about him being dragged off to war or uh, trying to get out of going to war by pretending to be a woman or him coming up with the idea of the uh, Trojan horse or any of the stuff that happened before. And we're not looking at everything that happened after he gets back to uh, Ithaca and his eventual death at the hands of his other son, what we're looking at is this one story, and that story is what happens in this time frame. What is the event of Odysseus's homecoming? And mm -hmm. to tell that story, you need to start with, here's what's happening at home, here's why he didn't come home, here's how he got home. In a minute, we're going to talk about some tips and tools and ways you can use this in your own writing, but let's take a break and hear some of the other programs going on at the Pioneer Library System. Hey, poetry fans, let's get immersed in verse. Our annual poetry writing contest is back and happening now. We have categories encompassing grades K through 12 and also adults. Each participant can submit up to three poems, which should be emailed to mc at pioneerlibrarysystem.org. Let us know if the poet is in the category of K through five, middle school, high school, or even adult, and include a library card number if possible. Submissions are being accepted through April 23rd, with our virtual poetry celebration and awards presentation taking place May 6th, 2021 at 6 p.m. We wish you all the best in your quest. And we're back. So, Tell me some tips and tools. 
<laughs> I love that. Yes, I'm happy to do so. So my tip is really lean into human nature. As Aristotle said, you want to try and get art to imitate life. Uh, we want to see our stories replicated and given the narrative treatment. One easy way to do this, write what you know. Take what the experience you're having, and you can translate to the fantastical. You can translate the mundane onto the uh, ridiculous. But whatever you're working on, if you're stuck on it, if you're having trouble, if you're finding it's not connecting, lean into that. Lean into art imitating life. I love that. I think that's a really good tip. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I found that was my prime takeaway after reading this. I also wanted to provide some resources for our listeners. Uh, the first of these is, of course, Poetics by Aristotle. It's available at your local library, as is the Odyssey by Homer, which I think everybody should give a read at least once. Uh, there's also a great video streaming on Canopy, available through your local library with your library card, called Narrative and Structure with Scott Frank and Stephen Zalian. And I also want to recommend the Stop Homer Time series on the Overdue podcast. <laughs> what a name. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Uh, it's really interesting. They, they go through the Emily Heller translation of Homer, the new one that came, I think, two years ago. And every episode, I think they do five or six chapters of it. And it's really cool. Like, it's, it's fun. Um, anyway. So, Zach, what is our writing prompt for this episode? I'm glad you asked. For our listeners... Take a moment from your own life or the life of someone you know well and try and dissect the narrative structure of it. What is the setup? What is the context? What is the resolution? How would you write the event so that they make up a whole? On a future episode, we're going to talk a little more in depth about uh, act structure and narrative structure. So be sure to come back for that one. Well, thank you for joining us today. If you married a story off of our prompt, we would love for you to share it with us by emailing podcast at pioneerlibrarysystem.org with the subject line Storycraft, and we might just read it on our next episode. Thanks a lot, Amanda. See you next time. Bye.